0: Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. We are very happy to have you with us today. Please stay with us for this hour as we are opening the Bible again to talk about God's mission, my mission. Today we have a very good uh, question to ask, inviting the panel uh, to answer some of these questions because we are going to talk about mission to the Unreached. I'd like to say hello to our panel today. It's good to have with us Jerry.
1: Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Dennis, it's good to have you with us too.
2: Thank you, Nick. I'm really looking forward to going through this today.
0: Hi, Will. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nick. It's good to be here. Joe, thank you for joining.
3: Thank you, Nick. Pleasure to be.
0: And hi Ligia. Thank you for being part of this.
4: Yes, I'm very glad to be part of the Bible study. Always.
0: Brenton, it's good to have you with us today, and thank you for taking extra time to just prepare this uh, Bible study. You are going to facilitate this discussion. Welcome to the program.
5: Thank you, Nick. Uh, I think it's going to be a very, very interesting discussion, and I trust that not only the panel, but those who are listening uh, will learn some new methods of being able to reach people that maybe we would normally consider not able to be reached, Nick. Mm.
0: Well, uh, let's uh, dig in uh, some passages in the Bible, some comments you may have, all of you, from the panel. Brenton, please take us through.
5: Sure. Imagine you've just travelled to a new city. You do not know anyone there. And when you arrive, as you walk the streets, observing the buildings, architecture, artworks, you find in this university city some 10,000 people. Some estimates have up to 25,000, and situated on virtually every corner, thoroughfare and street, are some 30,000 idols. As one writer observed, it was easier to find an idol in Athens than a man. A ratio of three idols to every citizen of Athens, perhaps. This is the situation confronting Paul, or confronted Paul. He's alone. Probably to some extent because of his disabilities, having left Silas and Timothy to continue the spread of the gospel in Berea, which was about 80 kilometres from uh, where he was in Athens, which he had to leave in a hurry because of persecution, which has followed him relentlessly from his previous mission centre at Thessalonica. Paul's situation is best described this way, panelled. His solitude in that great city where God was not worshipped was oppressive. As far as human fellowship was concerned, he felt himself to be utterly isolated. I don't know, Nick and panel, I guess we've probably had circumstances in our own lives where we've felt that way at times. You don't have to be in a strange city for that. Under those circumstances, Paul's spirit was stirred within him as he observed the gross immorality and rank heathenism in this the most pious of all Greek cities. He must tell them about the true God who made heaven and earth and who loved them and sent a God named Jesus who died and was resurrected. How ignorant they were of him. So our study today basically is from Acts chapter 17. And we're going to observe Paul's methods in reaching not the rude and the uncultured, uh, but I would describe them as the intellectually elite and the philosophical um, power of the then-known Roman world. In my notes, I've just said this, Nick, knowledgeable and wise in their own eyes, but lost. I wonder, Jerry, if you could uh, offer prayer for us. Thank you.
1: Yes, certainly, Breton. Our kind and loving Heavenly Father, most gracious God, we consider it a great privilege to be able to spend this time together with you as we open your word and as we continue this study on, on um, sharing your mission,
2: mm.
1: on making the gospel, the wonderful gospel message known uh, to the world. And what a job it is, Lord, this uh, week we will study how uh, Paul very tactfully approached his mission, yes. and uh, and was very adaptable in uh, in how he uh, used uh, what he had available to him to um uh, to make this beautiful message known to his listeners. Mm. There is much to learn as we uh, read these uh, verses from chapter seventeen of Acts, and we just pray, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit may may guide us and help us have a, a good conversation. And that the listeners too may be blessed as they tune in, yes. and find uh, practical ways to to share this wonderful, this this most essential message of the saving uh, grace of Jesus Christ. So bless us now, Lord, with your presence as we spend this hour together. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.
5: Amen. Well, panel, our story begins not in Athens, but earlier in Thessalonica. And it's interesting that the method that Paul uses to reach people in Thessalonica was very different from what he used in Athens. I wonder if we could share Acts 17, verse 1 to 5. Denise, how would you like to read those verses for us? And maybe just comment briefly on them. Thanks.
2: Oh, I'm I'm going to read from the clear word, which is a Mm, No,
5: that's good. Good. So
2: we'll start (laughs) Acts 17, verses 1 to 5. From Philippi, Paul and Silas travelled in a southwesterly direction, passing through the cities of Amphipolis and Apollonia, and then headed west to Thessalonica because there was a synagogue there. Following his usual practice, Paul went to the synagogue and for the next three Sabbaths discussed with the people the meaning of the prophecies about the Messiah. He showed them from the scriptures that in order for the Messiah to fulfil the prophecies, he had to come and suffer then die and be raised from the dead. He concluded by saying, This Jesus I've been telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews were convinced and accepted the teachings of Paul and Silas with great joy, as did a large number of God-fearing Greek men who had been converted to Judaism, and more than a few of the city's prominent women. The Jews who didn't believe became jealous and angry with Paul and Silas over losing so many of their converts, So they formed a mob And soon the whole town was in an uproar They even broke into the house of a man named Jason Who lived near the synagogue Looking for Paul and Silas
5: Thank you Denise Man alive There's a fair bit to cover in there isn't there (laughs) Yes there is Probably as we begin our discussion time uh, I think it's fairly obvious Denise From what you read Where did did Paul first begin his labours there In the Jewish synagogue Hmm now, um, Denise and panel, how, this would be in his comfort zone, wouldn't it? Definitely. What would be the familiarities that Paul would have? What would be the connections, I guess, that he would have, uh, with these people? Was Paul a Jew?
2: Yes, he was. He hmm. was a Jew. Um, he would there would have been familiar beliefs he would have understood the customs he would have understood the um, the cultural heritage as well as the spiritual heritage of the Jews so he would have been very
5: comfortable he would have and just as an additional question on this one uh, folk for discussion. Denise, the last couple of verses you read, you said that he pointed out to them towards the end. He said, "This Jesus, who I'm telling you about, is the Messiah. What are some of the texts or sections of scripture do you think he would have used, bearing in mind that we don't didn't have a New Testament at this stage? Anyone got any thoughts on that one?
0: Brenton and, and Panel even before we going uh, further um, and look into some passages in the Bible. One thing which is very important, I believe, to, to realize, and we as believers, Christians, you know, we need to learn, uh, some of the strategies, and I may say even techniques, you know, which was, these people used, you know, like Apostle Paul and uh, others in that time. First of all, they went to a common ground, you know, like as was pointed out, uh, somewhere where they feel comfortable and where the interests, the interest may be because it's not point to go somewhere where people don't want to hear anything what you want to say. But if you go into a place where at least they can realize with you. Uh, mm-hmm. On some aspects, I think that's a very important thing. And then you need to be able to assess as quick as possible what's the interest there. Yes. In, yeah. What's good, the good you know? Point, and and yeah. I think this is, this is very important when you are going to reach out to mm. those people who may be believed that it's, not to be reached, or it's hard to be reached, or things like that. Those things putting in place first will open an opportunity, a door, and as uh, we read uh, from the Bible, there are lots of people who accepted the message. Of course, there are people who didn't, and we may cover this as we go now, because what Really attracted my attention was that those people who supposed to teach people about God and salvation, those become against Paul, and this is the thing which yes. we may may uh, just open it up a little bit more. But uh, back to you, uh, Brenton, uh, you ask if we if we want to bring some other passages in the Bible uh, to mm. support that. Mm. For sure, Joe, you had a thought for us.
3: Well, I would imagine Isaiah, but just mm, that previous exactly. question about the comfort zone, mm-hmm. it's ironic that you should call it his comfort zone because really he had nothing <laughs> but discomfort. Um I guess the temptation was to go to the familiar, um, yeah. even if it is painful or mm-hmm. uncomfortable, uh, simply because it is familiar. He may have had a lot less persecution had he avoided the synagogues because um, it was the Jews who – who raised the riots? Um, they showed up. Where did they show up outside of Jason's house? They were demanding that they be brought out to the mob, hoping that they would deal with them immediately. You know, yes. at the yeah. mercy of the mob, there was no hearing here. Um, they were really living. Kangaroo, kangaroo
5: court stuff, Joe. Yes. Yeah, <laughs>
3: so, ironically. Yeah. Yeah, it's not really his comfort zone, but very familiar.
5: <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe the word comfort zone I shouldn't have used, but I was thinking more in terms of they were people who would at least understand what it is.
3: Absolutely. Was absolutely. But it is our comfort about, And even though opposed we tend to. the tend group to stick- that he's
5: going to face in Athens soon.
3: Yeah. Well, we tend to stick to our comfort zones, if you like, even if they are, because they're familiar, even though we might be uncomfortable, or have e- unpleasant experiences.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was just true. going to add, uh, mm-hmm. as I said, common ground, because few, um, studies back, uh, we mentioned about even in the time of reformation, that those reformers, they will go to the people who started to receive some of well, those that's right. uh, messages. Yes. They will not go straight to the people who are not interested in any aspects. Unfortunately, even Luther, um, when, uh, I mean, when he was teaching and the, the church organized, you know, like become a bit more like Lutheran church, um, other reformers uh, were not received because mm. they become more Lutherans rather than, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. To discover the truth further on.
5: Nick, that's, that's a good thought. And Joe, certainly, uh, what, what you've had to say is, is interesting. Um, the burden of his message I've just written in my notes, uh, is that this Messiah, had to suffer and die. Now, Will, do you have any thoughts on what a suffering Messiah would be? Because the Jews in 2023 don't accept a suffering Messiah.
6: Yes, if I may just point, uh, go back a little if. Uh, sure, sure. When landing in a completely different culture setting, you quickly feel out of your depth. Oh, yes. You don't just blast people with so called strange doctrine and leave them bewildered, Nick said it well, you get to know, understand their ways, determine their needs. Then you find the opportunity to tell them about a wonderful Savior. I, I think of the text in Ezekiel 3 verse 15. It says, Then I came to the captives at Tel who dwelt by the river Kebar, and I sat where they sat, and I remained there astonished among them. He sat where they sat. You know, Job's friends sat in sympathy with him for seven days, and that was helpful. But it's only when they started unloading their burdensome opinions on him that <laughs> things went pear-shaped. <laughs> with regard to the suffering Messiah, it's unbelievable almost that, um, that the Jews who were experts of the Old Testament, Brenton, wouldn't have, um, at least in their minds, gone back to what Isaiah 53 was saying. I would have thought so. The Messiah was to suffer. And no person can read through that chapter, Isaiah 53, without realizing, well, it's not going to be plain sailing for the Messiah. He's not going to come triumphant and just walk over everybody and destroy the uh, the Romans and, and so on and so forth.
5: Yeah. Well, that's interesting because uh, some of the material I've read, even this year, there are even Christians today who are saying that Isaiah 53 is not talking about the Messiah. I read something recently. I nearly fell off my chair. I thought, well, if it's not talking about the Messiah, who is it talking about? So these, Denise.
2: <laughs> Maybe it wasn't the type of Messiah that
1: they wanted.
5: Uh, I think that's a good point. Yes. Mm-hmm. Jerry?
1: Mm. I sometimes think also, how did Paul actually deal with this in the sense that, um, you know, he, he goes to wherever he goes, first of all, he goes to a synagogue, doesn't he? Um, yes. And, and meets his fellow Jews. And more often than not, they turn on him. <laughs> although, <laughs> as, in, as Joe quite rightly pointed yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although in, the, in this case here... Um, uh, where he's in, uh, where is he in Thessalonica?
5: Thessalonica or Thessalonica, depending on yeah. how you pronounce it.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, he, he does the same thing. He, pre- he preaches the gospel and he has a, uh, well, at least to some degree, a favorable response by the Jews. But as I said, so often his fellow men, his fellow believers, in fact, if they, if you can still call them that fellow Jews, would turn on him, and and I'm often wondered how did he process that? You know, having presented all this evidence from from their own scriptures. Yes, yes. You know, we would say, or I would say, how can you not see that? How can <laughs> you not understand that this is talking about the Messiah? And it wasn't just an isolated text here or there. No, Paul, Paul, Paul was very uh not only tactful but he was very intelligent in the way he presented his case so yes and and it it sort of made me think also when i first became a christian i mean i was a blank campus i didn't know anything about the gospel so when it was explained to me uh about the, the, the about a god who loves us and um And all the, all the, all that the Bible teaches about the second coming of Jesus, about the Lord's Sabbath, about the law of God, about the state of the dead, I was just soaking it up. Mm -hmm. And I thought in my, in my, how can I say my, my innocence that, um, if, you know, cause I I wanted to rush out and tell everybody I knew, especially my friends, my family. And I thought if I present this case as it was explained to me, then surely I will get a favourable response, but you didn't. <laughs> I, well, I, I didn't get that response at all. I mean, I, I appeared to have all the answers from Scripture, because it was also they weren't
5: asking the questions.
1: <laughs> no, exactly, and that was a, that was a hard lesson for me to learn actually, because mm. I realised then, um, hang on a minute, just because you think you have all the answers doesn't mean you're going to get a, a, a favourable response. Mm. So, um, and it's a pity, really, in a way, isn't it, because. We start off with great enthusiasm mm. and um, and I I must say in Paul's defence, his enthusiasm never waned. He, but whatever they threw at him, whatever setbacks he had, whatever obstacles he had to overcome, he kept going. He didn't let it get him down to the point where he said, Well this is useless. I mean you know, <laughs> you know nobody's listening. I just get persecuted every time I try and present the gospel. But he, he kept he going.
5: He indeed was of good courage, wasn't he? All the Absolutely. time. Yeah. yeah. Nick, you had a thought for us.
0: Yeah, well, just first of all, uh, we have to consider these things. Uh, back in uh, Paul's days, you know, it's not like today when you have all the means, you know, to advertise, to bring people in a hall, yes. Yes. to yeah. do all those things. You have to go where people are gathering, you know, that's mm-hmm. one thing. Uh, another thing is that uh, you know Jesus instructed the disciples go to the Jews first, go to the house yeah. of uh, uh, Israel, you know Judah, you know, and then yeah. go to Samaria and to the to the end of the world. I think that's Paul. It's following this, and he will uh, approach those people first, as was mentioned already, who may have some knowledge. About yes. these things, you know, yes. Now he yeah. he used a different method when he will come uh, uh, across people who didn't have a clue about, uh, mm-hmm. and then he used that phrase, which we may uh, touch on that a bit more. Uh, I'm here to present you that unknown God, which you think that there is. Yes. Yes. And you yep. see, Paul, it's very uh, flexible, I will say. He assesses the situation and he approaches in accordance with the need.
5: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good thought. Um, Thank you, everybody. I'm moving on. I'll I'll move through verses 5 to 7 fairly quickly. The the gist of their accusations was that these people have turned the world upside down. You know what? I think that's a good thing. (laughs) I think we need the world turned upside down in 2023 for for Christ. (laughs) So this is – but the end result is that the um, Thessalonians who became Christians obviously sheltered Paul and uh, Silas and sent them on their way to Berea so that, as you said, Joe, they didn't actually get their hands on them the mob. But we move on quickly to a place called Berea, which I believe is about 80 kilometers from um, Thessalonica. Once again, they would have had to walk and, uh, that in itself would be quite a, a task. Verses 11 and 12 talk about the situation of the Bereans. Jerry, I wondered if you would um, perhaps read those and give us a little bit of a comment on what you think. And we will throw that one open to our panel um as to the difference in the way they received the gospel, perhaps from um,
1: the Thessalonians, or Thessalonians, I should say. Yes, Brenton. Uh, once again, we see uh, Paul going to the synagogue in Berea. And uh, it says, as a group, oh, I'm reading from the Clear Word, a paraphrase, it says, as a group, Bereans were more open-minded than the Jews in Thessalonica. They eagerly listened to what Paul and Silas had to say and every day studied the scriptures for themselves to see if what these men were saying was correct. As a result, many of them believed, including many Greek women of high social standing and a number of Greek men. Now, the Bereans are often commended, and rightly so, I think, for studying for themselves what they hear um, and we owe it to ourselves as well to to check it out as it were if this actually stacks up and um, I mean it's it's too important to get wrong isn't it and and so we see the Bereans actually didn't just take his word for granted they actually went home and studied it themselves mm-hmm. and that's when it becomes really valuable to you doesn't it when you can see that actually what is being said is both reasonable and logical and scriptural, and then you know you're standing on a solid foundation. Very important to know exactly what it is, what you believe. Very important. Otherwise, you'll believe anything. Mm. Denise, you had a thought for us.
2: It's interesting in both places where Paul preached that there were Gentile converts in the synagogues who... Yes,
5: yes, I noted that, yep.
2: Accepted mm-hmm. the message much more readily than a, a, a lot of the Jewish believers. Mm.
5: Mm-hmm. That's a good thought, Denise. Anyone else got any thoughts on that? I mean, we, we have a group today known as the Bereans, do we not? Um, if you stay in, uh, motels, in fact, I stayed in a motel recently and we had a Berean Bible in the, uh, in the, the, the drawer alongside the bed where we were sleeping. So you've got those things. In my notes, I've simply put how powerful our witness to the world would be if people studied the scriptures for themselves and not just believe the latest YouTube presentation or social media comment. How often do you talk to people and they say, oh, have you seen the latest on this and that and the other? Don't just believe everything you read. Get the word of God out for yourself and study it. Uh Will, compare scripture with scripture.
6: On that um point, uh, Brenton, the basis of our belief is the Word of God, and it's dangerous to allow Dr. Google to shape our ideas and decisions. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Don't be surprised if you discover a bewildering number of posts on some platforms about the irrelevance of the Bible entirely in our modern times. There are some strange ideas, to say the least, but it could not, it could be most discouraging to anyone wishing to, worship, to witness for God. But I'd like us to remember that our endeavors are under the supervision and power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And we will yet see a mighty outpouring of the Spirit's power. And how do we need it? <laughs> second coming of Jesus. Yes. You know, despite apparent setbacks or failure, you know, reflecting on the Apostle Paul's experience, God's message will triumph. Listen yes. to what the Apostle Paul himself, speaking about the early uh, history in Israel in Romans chapter 10, says... But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. This is verse 16. Mm -hmm. Not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, and he refers back to Isaiah, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But then Paul again says, but I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So it may go difficult, but God is with his message and triumph will come.
5: Thank you, Will. Uh, Joe.
3: I absolutely agree with everything that um, Will has said. Mm. Um, And my comment is along a similar vein. And that is that Jesus never ever said, just believe in me. That's all you need. Just believe in me. He actually pointed. He always point in the back to scriptures and funnily enough it was the Old Testament yes. um, which is which has a tendency to be overlooked these days so um, and and they're also told no matter who says anything that contradicts what's written what is written is the Word of God there is no light in them
5: yes even if they be you.
3: angels so yeah. yeah let's be mindful of that
5: doesn't he say that in Galatians? Should we or an angel from heaven give you any other message than the one we've given, let him be accursed. (laughs) That's what Mm. Paul says in Galatians.
2: Yes.
5: So it's, it's very serious stuff. We're moving on. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Anybody else?
0: Yep. yep, just, uh, as uh, Joe's uh, mentioning about that, he was uh, referring to Old Testament. Of course, at that time, the Old Testament was the only, you know, part of the Bible available. But Jesus was saying a lot of things, which now they are recorded in the New Testament, yes. which, uh, you know, for example, uh, he will say, you heard what it said in the Old Testament, but I'm telling you even more, uh, to be more relevant today, yes. what yeah. you need to do. Um What I'm trying to say here is that uh, we can easily fall into this trap of saying, oh, but it's not uh, in the Old Testament, or, oh, but it's not uh, referring, you know, in the New Testament. And sometimes there are some little apparent, apparent even disagreements in the Old and New Testament, but it's a new or a different uh, phase of the things. If you look into the whole Bible, if you look into the whole Bible, you can understand that. That's why in um, Second uh, uh, Timothy, uh, it says there that the whole Bible it's inspired by God to teach, you know, to uh, reveal what's the will of God, the plan of salvation. And I think we can be very tempted, and even in a danger zone, when we are Mm -hmm. either focusing on the New Testament or focusing on the Old Testament. You can go wrong both ways. I think you need to understand these things all together and why things in the New Testament has been said in that way, and why the Old Testament is still holding up some of the things which we need to consider.
5: Yeah, that's that's a good thought, Nick. There has to be a balance between the two, but it's rather interesting speaking personally before we move on. Recently in a couple of churches I've preached, I've preached a sermon which is virtually holy from the Old Testament. And it was surprising to hear people say to me at the door after church, we haven't heard any sermons from the Old Testament for a long, long time. So we do need to get a balance, I think, between the Old Testament and the New Testament in our study. Paul is now in Athens. He's looking at the 30,000 idols, and his heart is stirred within him. So Athens' golden era has long since faded, the era of Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and Sophocles. However, it is a city described in verse 16. I wonder who could read that one for us. Verse, uh, Verse 16, maybe Lydia, would you like to read verse 16 for us, thanks? Yes, sure. And perhaps briefly comment on how does it make you feel when you read this text and say, how would that look compared, to, say, to the city of Adelaide? Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, so verse 16 from chapter 17 in Acts. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, which is the uh, intellectual center of ancient Greece, He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols.
5: Read verse 17 as well.
4: So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. I think Mm. Paul was effectively shocked by the fact that wherever he went, he saw... Idols, different kind of idols. Yes. Everywhere. Yes. Yeah. And he knew that God has a mission for these people in order to be saved. And he used all his passion and intelligence and eloquence to reach their hearts. And he did. We can, we could see that uh, many, it said that many believed and a big, a big number of prominent Greeks women and men, believed in that. So um, Paul didn't work only on his own. Paul placed his heart into God's hands and worked together with the Holy Spirit to reach these people's hearts.
5: Yeah, thank you, Lydia. Did anyone else have a comment on that? Because the word stirred in verse 16, who has a version where it says his heart was stirred within him? I know we're using different versions today. The Greek word is paroxuno. It means to irritate, to arouse, to provoke, to anger. Mm -hmm. And I've put in my notes, Paul could not contain himself when he saw the true God's name so flagrantly but ignorantly dishonoured throughout the city. So he starts by reasoning, uh, as you uh, read, with the Jews. And here's something interesting. Uh, When Denise read his work in Thessalonica, we learnt that there were some people who became followers of Jesus, who became Christians. Berea, we can assume, somewhat similar. But here, there's no mention of any results from his work with the Jews in Athens. Did you note that? No mention. And the Gentiles, um, Denise, I think it was, who said... um, that uh, these people, the Gentiles, were actually more susceptible to the teaching of Jesus as the Messiah, perhaps, than the Jews were. But he's also reasoning with them, it says, in the marketplace.
6: Paul, therefore, frequented the marketplace where these people were to be found. We might say that he formed the first global mission study centre. We could, will. <laughs> <laughs> we he use the marketplace to study and test the methods of reaching the hearts and the minds of these pagans.
5: Mm. Any comments on that, guys?
1: Is that uh, well? Who would he have found in the marketplace, Jerry? Mm. All kinds of people, really. <laughs> yeah, just coming back to your previous comment uh, that it doesn't specifically say what sort of result he had there. In fact, the, the last verse of chapter 17 does say, in verse 33, it says, So Paul departed from among them. And then the, verse 34, it says, However, some men joined him and believed, among them Dionysius and Ariokop- Ariopolis, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So it wasn't uh, totally in vain. I, I guess there were some people who uh, accepted the message uh, it may not yes. have been as much as he had uh, hoped for.
5: Yeah, I, I don't think this was one of his great moments in evangelism. No.
1: How, however, it does say that um, that he was able to give his testimony and that many listened. What they did with that, yes, we yes. don't know. And I think mm-hmm. that's important too. Uh, will made a comment previously that, that the Holy Spirit will do a wonderful work before Jesus comes back because God wants people to know. He wants people to hear the gospel and to make an intelligent, an intelligent decision with what they know. And, and we should have confidence that some way, and we don't know exactly how God will take control because you look at, look at, look at what you're up against. How many people in this world today actually have an understanding of what the gospel teaches or in fact have heard of the gospel? There is still a huge percentage of the world's population that haven't heard of the gospel yet. That's true, and 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 it could, you know, it could leave you somewhat frustrated and depressed, thinking, "How on earth? How on earth are we going to finalize this mission?" But we need to have confidence that God, God will take things in His own hand, and um, and there will come a time, I believe, Brenton, where all people living on Earth will hear this message. All people will hear this message. What they do with it. Is up to them, and I think that's what we're dealing with here in in uh, in Athens. Not that all people, not that he was able to speak to everybody who lived in Athens, mm-hmm. but certainly, um, you know, a, a good number of them would have heard Paul preaching. Yeah, good point.
0: Very quickly, um, I would like to say here that even though Paul uh, was called by some of those people uh, in the marketplace, or whatever, like a uh, bubbler, I mean, what yes. is he saying here. <laughs> All those things. Paul was not giving up. Paul, Paul went there day by day and the Bible doesn't say how long necessarily, but uh, he went there and he shared what he had on his heart. I believe we should also be wise in this regard. Um, not to just, um, you know, point fingers to people or be, be judgmental towards uh, a group of the other. Just share the message mm-hmm. and move mm-hmm. on when it's needed. Mm-hmm. You know, move mm-hmm. on. You don't need to be yep. hold on. That's what I wanted to, to say here. Denise?
2: I'd just like to support what Nick said with a text from Matthew yeah. chapter 10,
0: verses
2: 16, which says, your work won't be easy for you because you'll be like sheep walking in the midst of wolves. You must be as wise as snakes and as innocent as doves.
5: Mm. That's pretty hard, Denise.
2: It's <laughs> only with the help of the Holy Spirit.
5: <laughs> yes, it is. All right. To cut a long story short, we find him on the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus is a name for a hill in Athens. It's also known as Mars Hill. Uh, Mars in uh, the Roman uh, mythology uh, Pantheon was the god of war So I found that quite interesting It was also the meeting place of the council And Jerry, you you alluded to the fact That at the end of his presentation There was a guy by the name of Dionysius who, uh, Who was an Areopagite Who was actually one of the most prominent members Of this council And according to early church tradition He became the first bishop of Athens. So it wasn't a complete waste but notice his approach. Instead of outright condemning their beliefs which may have caused him to end up like Socrates, for any of you who have studied what happened to poor old Socrates, I just asked myself the question, sometimes can we go a bit too hard in our our presentation of truth to people perhaps ignorantly not recognising that they are not where we are And we have to be so gentle in the way we deal with them. Will?
6: On that point, uh, Brenton, I've worked in cultures and communities. I'm sure you have, yeah. Where there is a strong trust in the village witch doctor. It would have done me no good to just walk in and call for the banishment of the central figure in their society. Truth, I believe, has to illuminate the mind gradually. As Scripture says in Proverbs 4 verse 18, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. Mm.
0: And you know, um, Brenton, Ligia read a bit earlier that uh, Paul maybe was shocked to see so many uh, idols there. But it's interesting that he uses that.
6: And he says,
0: hey, I can see that you are very spiritual people here. Mm -hmm. You believe in many things. I mean, you have so many gods, but you have that unknown God. How clever Paul was there to say, now I want to talk to you about that thing, that unknown God. And I can see now the interest a little bit more, you know, because... Yes. yeah." Yeah.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Nick, that's a very good point. Anybody else got a thought on that before we move on? Notice the way he goes about it. It, It's certainly oratory, and the way that he would have uh, presented to the Jews was oratory too, but in the case of the Jews, he would have been presenting direct from the Old Testament, he would have been comparing scripture with scripture, prophecy with prophecy, psalm with psalm, what Isaiah said, what Ezekiel said, what Daniel said. He would have been going through all of that. This is a totally different audience. No good using any of those people as illustrations. These people, the Epicureans and the uh, Stoics, if you study their history, they're most interesting guys. Um He starts out by saying, you have here an altar, as I was wandering around your city, to the unknown God, as you said, Nick. And he's basically saying, you know what? I've come to tell you who this unknown God actually is. And then he goes on uh, from there. So um, in verses, I'll, I'll skip a little bit of this, but just perhaps summarize what the Epicureans and the Stoics believe so that we get a bit of an understanding as we sort of dig into it. Epicureans believed the gods were not interested in human affairs, so our life should be spent solely in the pursuit of happiness. Well, is there anything actually wrong in pursuing happiness? I asked myself the question. <laughs> if it's at the expense of others or at the expense of um, what God would have us to do, there is a problem. The Stoics believed true wisdom consisted in being the master, not the slave of circumstances. And the things we cannot control are to be accepted with equanimity, to be indifferent to pleasure or pain and adopt an intellectual neutrality. It's interesting the comment that Josephus makes. He states that there are similarities between the Stoics and Pharisees and even Christians because of their moral nobility. However, a major weakness of this philosophy is that in aiming at unconcern for themselves, they lost sympathy for others, like the Pharisees in Matthew twenty three twenty three, where Jesus really castigates them by saying, you tithe of mint and dill and cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy. These are the things you should have done without leaving the other things undone. Um, I've put down here they were punctilious in their payment of tithes, but they neglected these other things. Anyway, in verse 28 and 29, Joe, I wonder if you could read those verses for us and comment on them briefly. (laughs) He actually gives them a a sense of, okay, you say there is a God here that you don't know who he is. I'm going to tell you who he is, and I'm going to tell you what his relationship to you is.
3: Certainly. Just let me find it.
5: He quotes from poets.
3: Yes, he does. He, He quotes from their own poets and i I think it's more than just cleverness of him to have walked through Athens and noticed all these altars to the unknown God. There is actually a, a history to that, yes. and yes, and that was that six hundred years earlier, there was a plague, a pestilence in Athens, and the people in their desperation reached out to their own prophet, if you like, who was living in Crete. um I think its name is Epimedides. Yes, How do you pronounce that it? Pen, that's, that's anyway, so Pic had this great idea of um, setting sheep loose in yeah, Athens, yeah. and wherever one lay, they were to build an altar. They were to sacrifice a sheep and build an altar to the unknown god, because um, this chap said that it's not it's not our gods that are causing this. It's an unknown god. So we are going to appease him by sacrificing a sheep wherever yeah. one of these sheep happened to. And so, of course. Um. This is the history of the un- the altars to the unknown god, and I, I think that it's almost providential. It was almost providential. I I, I can't see that he was clever. I think that God led him there no, no, I don't think because he, he then, yeah. he, he then pointed them. You know, you think that this sheep. That was sacrificed here to the unknown God saved you, but I'm here to point you to the atoning sacrifice of the God, the God that you do not know. It, it yes. was, I think it was a bigger picture than even we can comprehend, yes. but I'll, I'll read, um, he tries to yeah. m- mesh the two together and make it more palatable by quoting their own poets.
5: Yeah, and so, I think, I think, um, Joe, his name would probably be pronounced Epimenides.
1: <laughs> Epimenides. I'm just I'm looking so at
5: Ep- Epimenides.
3: I think I, I, I couldn't, if I pronounced. could read it, if I could had it in front of me, I probably would have said it correctly, yeah. but I couldn't remember how it yeah. was spelled.
5: No, Epimenides, I think is probably how it's pronounced. <laughs> anyway, go Epimonides. ahead and read for
3: us. Anyway, so he said, "For <laughs> this is what Paul is saying: For in Him we live and move and have our being." As some of your own poets have said, we are his off- offspring, and that is, um, Aratus, I think. Yes. And, um, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. So human, humans had no contribution to the formation of this God, nor could they uh, reproduce him by their own knowledge and yes. wisdom.
5: Yeah,
3: he, yeah. So um, that's that's what he was doing: is quoting them to themselves. And of course, I think he was trying to gain some footings in doing that. But um, I'm not sure whether he entirely
5: succeeded. Yeah, good good point, Joe. Um, wasn't he also trying to point something else out to them? If this God and we are his offspring, quoting their poets, whether it was Aretas or Epimenides, if this God created us, why are we worshipping things that our hands are made rather than the God who created us? He's really trying to point out, I think, the futility of their philosophical thinking. Their thinking is that we make things and then we worship them, and he's saying, hang on a minute, the God who created you made the things that you're using to create images out of and statues out of. He made all these things. So why why are you worshipping what's been made rather than the one who's made them? I think, I, I they think
3: had that's moved what he's away trying to get across. I think they had moved away from um, just paganism in the sense that the God was encapsulated in this yeah. work of art. Yeah. Because they knew that Zeus, there were many reproductions of Zeus, Athena (laughs) and that. So they, these were representations of their God, if you like. So they were worshipping Zeus in the form. We have this idolatry even in many of our churches that no, no, this is not, this is not God. This is a representation of God. And so they had moved away from, oh, this is the
5: God to this represents the God. Yeah, good point but um, if he was equally, quoting equally
3: them, erroneous
5: <laughs> yeah he was if he'd been quoting to them from the old testament though surely he would have said to him god himself said you cannot represent me by anything that you make but he didn't quote that obviously because they weren't students of the old testament it's yeah, anyway I think but, he, <laughs> yeah sorry he
3: had to he had to limit how much um Old Testament that these were not um these were pagans, and they did no, not
5: absolutely
3: understand yeah. any of the um the the Torah yeah it would be wasted on them, so this is why he tried to reach them through their own his their own prophets and poems yes
0: yeah Poets. okay, Nick, well, my dear friends listening today uh um, this is a very interesting uh uh topic, you know, and we can learn so much more. I would like you to have a book. Uh, and we still have available The True Revival. It's a wonderful uh, book which you can have and learn a bit more about how to be a genuine uh, Christian. If you like this book, please send us a text message with the code S-A-B-S-2. The phone number is zero four eight two zero nine triple eight. Thank you Nick
5: In verse 31 he actually points out to them something interesting We won't take the time to read it But in verse 31 he actually says that The ignorance of those days In other words as you said Joe um, and others um, The fact that they didn't know who the true God was He says I've just revealed who the true God is to you He created you He loves you and he's not very far from you Uh, In fact if you reach out for him You will find him But he's now saying Because you are no longer ignorant There is a day that God Has appointed called Judgment Day Now in their own thinking They they had various concepts of this But The Epicureans believed death was annihilation and there was no afterlife. Uh, The Stoics believed that the soul left the body and lived on for a while. So he's dealing with all of this as he's summarizing and saying that the reason there's going to be a resurrection is that the man who is going to do the judging rose from the dead. In other words, he was resurrected and some People, uh, some commentators have suggested when he presented Jesus to them in resurrection, they thought they were two new gods. They didn't know who Jesus was, so he's one God. Resurrection must be another God. But in actual fact, he's he's pointing this out to them. And then in verse 32, we find their response. Who could read verse 32 for us? Will, could you read that one for us? Thanks.
6: Certainly. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said we want to hear you again on this subject. At that Paul left the council.
5: Yeah, um well, do you think it was just um their curiosity was piqued, or do you think they were actually under conviction? The ones who said we want to hear you again
6: on it? I think um well they were they were steeped to learning and um Well they were. They considered themselves
5: intellectuals of the highest order.
6: Philosophers, yes, and the, mm. the type of philosophy. But, yes, they wondered. I think that there was a conviction here, Brenton. Okay. Um, Lydia?
4: I think that they misunderstood the meaning of the resurrection of the dead, which Paul was talking about. And they were thinking, oh, well, we will be resurrected and we will live the same miserable life and full of sicknesses mm-hmm. and uh, okay. so it was yep. a misunderstanding because yep. they start to mock him and say oh yeah okay okay we will hear about uh, you another time
5: okay so using a new method or a different method from what he used in Thessalonica from what he used in Berea in summary here he is in Athens using a different method and ultimately, as I think you said, Joe, earlier on, it wasn't terribly successful. Um, to such a degree, I believe that it did have some success. Paul demonstrated his knowledge of their beliefs and customs, however it needed divine power to change their hearts. One of the things that Paul learnt is recorded in First Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 4. And I wonder, Nick, could you read those verses for us, or, or Lydia? Lydia, I think you've read one, but Nick, Perhaps if you could read First Corinthians 2, 1 to 4, and this is where we'll finish our study for today. Because Paul himself learned a very valuable lesson from this experience of addressing the Areopagites. Because the next place he goes is Corinth after he leaves Athens. Notice the difference in approaches.
0: All right, let's read this uh, verse. If, um,
5: if, you, if you haven't got time to read it, can you summarize it? We'll
0: just go, uh, go quickly read it, uh, Brenton. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him Crucified, I came to you in weakness and fear, and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Thank you, Nick. Can you
5: see in summary from our study today that he learned a valuable lesson from this as well? He tried philosophy with philosophy. He tried ideas with ideas. He tested it. It showed. He showed them he had a thorough knowledge of their customs, uh, as Joe said, uh, of their um, poets and what they'd written and that sort of thing. But he has learned a lesson out of this. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that is going to change people's hearts. These guys are steeped in heathenism. They're steeped in heathen philosophy. And so there's very little that he can do other than to present them into God's hands. It wasn't totally wasted. There's, there's no two ways about that, but I've put in my notes just in conclusion, something along these lines, which I found interesting. A key lesson we can learn is don't irritate your listeners, but lead them to want to seek a God who is reaching out to them. Also, one method of evangelism does not reach everyone. Experiment by God's grace and in his power. I believe that's a challenge for us today. Denise, I wonder if you could close with prayer for us, please.
2: So, Brenton. Thank you for your word, which has power to convict us of truth. Help us to recognise the leading of the Holy Spirit. All of us are on a spiritual journey. Help us to study scriptures and to ask the Holy Spirit to lead not only us, but also lead us to those around us who need to hear about God's love for them and how he wants to save them. Um.
0: Thank you. Well, thank you, everyone, for your participation today. Yes, we could say much more about these things because a uh, lots of those um, aspects we face day by day, I believe, in our walk with God, and we can learn and we can apply. But we are continuing this um, mission to the unreached and we'll have part two next week my dear friend listening today don't miss that one Uh join us again uh, uh, next week until then may God richly bless you and don't forget you can claim an offer which we have uh, uh, for you today True Revival that's a wonderful book the code is S-A-B-S-2 and the phone number is zero four eight two zero nine triple eight. 3. You can also write us a message, a thought, a comment, maybe a prayer request, and we'll be very happy to share that. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a wonderful walk in the footsteps of Jesus.